Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Juliette Televi, and joining me to discuss your questions this evening are Tommy Netta from Shiloh Capital and Willem Oldervacher from Nitrogen Fund Managers. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Uh, Willem, Tommy, good to see you there this evening. Um, Tommy, if I may start with you tonight, um, not a great finish for the JSE today, but uh, I feel like we have been spared the route that is currently unfolding on US markets and the NASDAQ in particular and I saw comments um, in the FT and they were saying that the Nasdaq is the epicenter of interest rates uncertainty in the stock markets and that seems to be back with a vengeance at the moment. Yes, uh, a lot of tech stock valuations have been messed up because of the easy money and, and projected value creation that they could see. So investors were willing to take some losses when it comes to present day uh, sort of valuations and and loss, losses in profits uh, with the future being projected to make income. With the interest rates going up, that affects uh, the valuation methods and that has to bring back the valuations within line of when will they make money. Mm -hmm. uh, the JSC fortunately doesn't have an extended exposure to the technology sector, but uh, I think uh, we, we, we will take, we'll have our fair share of the down mm -hmm. with interest rates in general. But I think in a broader sense, uh, the NASDAQ is going to consistently take a hit because of the uh, exposure they have to technology and technology stocks valuations. Yeah. Willem, I got the sense though, and, and as maybe all of us did, that there had been this lull or a, a reprieve and that people had started to digest what was going to happen to interest rates and you got the sense that a little bit of calm had returned to the market and everyone was feeling a little bit more sanguine. Why all of a sudden has have things cracked? Is it... Results. I mean, you had uh, it, was it Netflix's earnings? What, what, what exactly is it that 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 sparked this um, this latest mood uh, change? Yeah, I think it's two things. I think um, two terms I read this last week. The one is the Jackson Hole jitters. So uh, with the Fed meeting the yearly um, sort of it's their, their family getaway to to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and they sort of talk about everything important in sort of macroeconomics in America. And that gets rounded up by a sort of statement at the end of the week. And I think everybody's just afraid of what that could be. The other thing is this, this late rally, I think, um, stemmed from something. It was a bit of a, it's called a bear trap. So lots of shorts sort of get caught up in what might be the turn of the sort of the markets. And I think now that that's passed, who's the marginal buyer? I think all the shorts have covered. And I think we're sort of sitting, everybody's sort of hoping someone else would buy, but there aren't any... Um, Nobody's brave enough to buy with so much uncertainty. So I think that's what we're seeing uh, in the markets these last couple of days. Okay. And then the, the toxic um, cherry um, uh, on top of this all um, is what's been happening to gas and electricity prices. And someone tweeted a graph of the German electricity prices today, which gained more than 25% in one day um, to, uh, I think, above 700 euros per megawatt for the first time ever. And it's 14 times the seasonal average. And so, I mean, Tommy, do you look at this and think, well, no one in Europe is going to have any money to spend on anything other than on their electricity bill in the next, uh, in the winter? I mean, this, uh, the recession that could ensue might be profound, or do you think maybe a solution will come about by then? Look, I think the Europeans will have to be pragmatic. They have no other choice but to be pragmatic. 
they'll they'll have to resolve their issues they have between NATO and Russia, um, and and figure out a way to resolve that. I also think there's an element of it which a lot of European nations have taken for granted some of the advantages they've had around uh, energy supply and the consistency of it, amongst other things. Uh, unfortunately, Europe is going to bear the brunt of a lot of the energy-related um, uh, uh, shocks, um, and they'll have to make some very, very hard decisions. Um, I think globally we're also going to have to face a little uh, some shocks, but I think, again, uh, uh, governments are going to make uh, difficult choices, especially with uh, Russia now accepting CNY as a currency to settle for, for oil. I foresee a scenario where a lot of countries, especially in the emerging and developing world, are going to make some pragmatic decisions about how they purchase their oil and who they pay for it going forward. Uh, but in terms of energy as a whole, I think Europe is going gonna, is gonna to bear a, a, a brunt of it, and which is going to force European governments to become very pragmatic in how they deal with Russia. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, I, I presume this is one of the reasons why Tungela is just unstoppable, because coal is the, is the alternative. I mean, and, and the question that came in just now was, Tungela hit a new high of 341 rand today. I, I mean, you know, a couple of months ago, the most, um, the most optimistic forecast, I think, was 290 rand a share. So we have way exceeded that. And we have said on the show that... You know, if it gets to 300, maybe you would be well advised to cash in. And here, here we are. Um, so could it go higher? Uh, um, uh, Willem, I suppose uh, it could. Um, but um, I mean, do you see, you know, what happened today being uh, continuing and, and Tungela might, might continue to eke out a few gains? Yes, exactly. I think um, coal is a good alternative to especially gas. Uh, oil is sort of e equally constrained and also expensive. And coal has been one of the sort of real strong um, hydrocarbon sort of feels. I don't know, it just sort of, nothing seems to break it. Tungela made 60 rands worth of dividends in a year at current prices. So, I mean, if they could do this for five years, you get your money back. So I think the market's just pricing in a larger probability of that happening. And um, like you say, looking at coal prices today, gas prices today, there's a sort of a, an increased chance of that happening. And I think the share price reflects that. And I, I definitely think it could go higher. It's It's fairly cheap because it's X to 60 Rand, so it's more like 260 Rand right now, depending on um, how you see it. Hmm. I mean, Tommy, are you brave enough? Would you be brave enough to buy now? Um, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that if you have confidence in the future of coal, which I think the market has now accepted is a fundamental element of energy production, Secondly, I think uh, if you have confidence in the ability of Tungela to get that call to the right markets, i.e. India, then then yes. But as a entry price in general, um, I would say most of us have missed the bucket if you went in there from uh, much earlier on. Mm. I mean, because also surely there's a, a natural cap as to... Uh, so if prices had to stay here, okay, say they didn't maybe rally exponentially from where they are now, there is a, there is, Tungela produces a certain amount and can only get a certain amount of its coal to market uh, because of constraints on the Richards Bay coal uh, line. So surely that is going to also set a, uh, put a, a ceiling um, to the share price. Yeah, the, the, the other side of that is the demand side, right? So as much as we can look at how they are able to supply, as long as demand continues to be under pressure. Um, and there's a lot of countries much larger than South Africa who continue to need that quality of coal 
um, then the price can continue to go up. Mm. The, the question is, will it? Uh, my view is it's unlikely to, because uh, this is an artificial energy boom being caused by a very, very long, long, long proxy war between the U.S. and Russia. Uh, but outside of that, the, the, the possibility of the price going up is very, very possible, especially given the demand that exists for coal globally. Yeah. William, which was your point as well, that the price, you're actually quite optimistic on the price rallying further. And so... Yes, yes. So Gela could sell the volumes they sell now at the prices they sell now. It's worth maybe double or triple what it's trading at. It's currently pricing in a, a massive backwardation in the forward curve, let's say to $150 in two years and $60 in five years. So the market knows that that this is not the sort of long-term real price for coal, and yet it's still worth 320 rand. So if if we see what, what is now a sort of the continuing trading environment for Zingela into the future, it's it's worth in, immeasurable amounts. Hmm. Okay, all right. Well, well, okay, well, I suppose you take your you take your life into your hand with this one. And for those of us who miss it entirely, then we can only gnash our teeth in frustration. Jilanjovu must be a happy man, especially if he has a, a, a sort of options-based remuneration structure. Yes. He's going to be a very happy man. Yes, he's going to make Neil Froneman's pay package pale in comparison, I suspect. Um, okay, well, moving away from Tungela, which is one of the bright spots on our market today, to the banks, which doesn't have a very good day. There's a question on APSA, uh, and the question is, uh, and excuse me while I bring it up, um, the panel's view on APSA, given that it's currently pulling back, and all the banks have been pulling back. Um, Tommy, is it because... Because of the rand having um, sort of blown out again to above 17 uh, against the dollar, what I mean the results were good. We've had people talking up the bank stocks. Why all of a sudden are you seeing a retracement? Um, I think it's a projection of the future of the credit markets at large. So um, real estates, mortgages, personal credit, uh, as well as business transactions, uh, M&A activity. Where the, where where does the future business for banks like APSA lie. Uh, there, there was uh, thoughts around the rest of Africa um, and the thoughts around like unsecured lending. But I think a lot of that margin has been taken up by smaller banks like Capitec and African Bank and the likes. And it's going to be hard for them to continue to make the kind of money, especially with interest rates going up. They'll have to adjust their risks. They'll have to adjust their risk matrix and how they see the future of lending. So I think it's a view of the future of lending in South Africa, economic activity, the ability, who, who can borrow at this stage given levels of indebtedness on a private and public level, and the view of where the future of business is coming from okay. uh, in the banking sector. Philem, is the countervailing view um, to what Tommy's sketched out, um, the expectation that you're still going to get a lot of money out of the banks, uh, you know, th th that they're just sitting on a lot of cash and they could pay out good dividends um is, is that sort of are those the two forces that work here yeah to some degree i think what i'm trying to say is sort of the net interest income line jumps incredibly quickly as interest rates start to get raised but as they continue raising it can shrink again we're not there yet but the market might sort of start seeing that as a as a realistic probability and with regards to abza it used to be sort of a, a value play, very cheap, but it got way more expensive. I think it outperformed the other banks by sort of 10, 15%. So now you have to sort of pivot into sort of a quality um, investment case, which is maybe a bit difficult as things stand, you know, in terms of earnings growth and balance sheet strength. 
And um, just the rest of it, it needs a, a multiple re-rating, which is going to take some time. So I think maybe ABSA has sort of run its course for the, the short term. Okay. All right. So let's just move to Sun International, which came out with a really nice cheering uh, trading update today. Um, I mean, you know, it's great to see how businesses have hung in over COVID and kind of come through. You know, you saw Spurs results out on, on Friday. So the question is, uh, um, and excuse me while I get to it, um, can your panel give their view on Sun International's trading update today? Would it be a good buy at 30 Rand a share? Tommy, can I start with you? Yes. So I think in, in essence, it is a good buy. Um, I think uh, since the investment of value capital partners, I think they've they've really structured the business well and it's got a future in terms of uh, bringing in tourists, managing the business and going forward. They've got great assets. So I think it is a buy. But um, one must always be aware that uh, hospitality businesses um, are highly impacted by uh, the cyclical nature of economies. People's ability to travel, to go, whether business or pleasure, um, is impacted by how the economy is doing. So one has to take into account the future view of where South Africa and the rest of the world will be in attracting global tourism. Um, if, for example, you, you, you feel like the nature of the rand and that global tourism will be tough and everyone will come here because it will be cheaper and will access Sun, Sun International's uh, assets, then great. But you have to do a, a, a deep, deep dive into the next 18 months, especially of uh, spending data, uh, people's ability to afford um, the, the cost of flying, especially with these crazy fuel prices and so on and so forth. But uh, my view is they're, they're a well-run business. Um, I trust Sam Sitole and his crowd at VCP, and I think there's value to be had there. Hmm. But I suppose that that's the point. I mean, the Sun International Trading Update is, not, is of historic earnings. So while it looks really good, and it is great to see, uh, it's no prediction of what the future is going to be. And South Africa is a long-haul destination, which makes us uh, a bit of a tricky one uh, for, travel, for, for um, price-sensitive travelers as far as airfares are concerned. Um, but on, on the issue of, of their debts, and wh what do you see happening there? Do you see any prospect of a dividend out of Sun International? Yeah, so, so first off, in terms of a dividend, no. I think... Um, it's very positive to see them swing into a profit, I think, from sort of the COVID era. I think it was two, three years of a very tough time of building debts and sort of changing the company, sort of restructuring the company, getting everything in place. But I agree with uh, Tommy and what you said. I think in terms of hospitality and travel to South Africa in the next two, three years, it's very tough to see that as being a sort of a good investment case. So as, as good as the company is, I don't think it's uh, – it's cheap or it's easy to buy in terms of sort of making a, a short-term profit. I think you have to think 10, 15 years down the line and strategically where you think South Africa and, and our travel industry would go then, which is a bit, a bit too difficult for me. Hmm. And, and would uh, that be your view of all the uh, sort of hospitality entertainment uh, uh, shares on the JSE? So um, hospitality rather. So Sun International, Tsoho, City Lodge even. Would, would you be circumspect Definitely the, the, the best of the three you mentioned of Togo and the City Lodge. But I still think, um, I don't think it's a sector I've invested. Okay. Tommy, do you have a, a different view on, on Togo or City Lodge or um, does, it, does your thesis yeah, on Sun International you, apply? Um, I think there was a point where City Lodge was at a good price point in terms of uh, undervalued. I think they've reached that point now. I think also a view of, of, of business travel must be taken into account especially now given that there's a lot of sort of a, a lot of sort of uh, reduction in 
in flights, especially around fuel, come in, the like. So I think it's going to be tough for the other two to really try and keep up. I think of the lot, they are the best. Hmm. Okay. All right. So, um, and then moving to property companies, uh, there's a question, and it was asked uh, actually on last week's show as well um, uh, by a different viewer. Um, can you please inform us what would be the reason why Capco shares um, have been steadily dropping for the last couple of months and what share price should one look to get into it? Um, Willem, uh, Capital and Counties, is it, you know, what, what is it? Uh, um, especially if you consider that... Uh, you, we have seen a rebound in travel, so there's been this un, unleashed pent-up demand, especially in Europe, so people have been flocking um, to tourist areas in London, which is where Capco plays. Why is it just on a downward trend? You know, I think these companies are so marginal, and the sort of, Kaplan Counties is like an interesting company, but it's not, it's not in the sort of typical REIT space or typical property company space. And the, the amount of risk, if you, if you look at the UK specifically, they, they predict their own inflation to go to 13, 14%. And I saw a report today from Goldman saying up to 18 to 22%. I think it's, it's very risky to invest in that environment. And I think that weighs on the stock along with the fact that it's sort of a small cap in a very niche industry, which um, makes it difficult for sort of larger funds to support the stock in sort of tough times. And I think it's just, um, yeah, it's just an overflow of sellers and it's, it's not going to stop. I, I wouldn't buy it. I don't think it's going to stop hmm. um, anytime soon. Yeah, I saw the Goldman Sachs report too. It's horrifying. Can you imagine inflation of 22%? I, I, you know, especially after 15 years where you've barely managed to scrape 2%. It, it, it is a stunning, stunning figure. Um, and suddenly you feel quite happy about living in South Africa where you don't, uh, you know, um, uh, where with these things we tend to take in our stride. Um, Tommy, I know that you don't follow Capco that closely. Do you follow any of the other listed UK property stocks? I mean, Hammerson, for example, today had a dreadful day. It was down 9%. So I don't know if it was in reaction to that Goldman Sachs report or if there are other factors involved there. Typically, we don't. So um, I think uh, we, we don't have a very uh, we don't have much interest in, in in listed real estate. But what I will say is that in general, uh, when you've got interest rates going up, uh, currencies uh, firming or weakening, uh, debt levels are quite high, credit is shrinking, it's going to be very difficult over time to have a sustainable real estate portfolio, especially when your LTV ratios are quite high. So. Um, our view is 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 uh, quite negative on on uh, uh, real estate, especially listed real estate. The properties themselves, uh, the assets may be great, but the LTV ratios and the share, related share price can make it difficult. And are you talking specifically? Are, are you talking about South African uh, uh, listed real estate or offshore? Offshore. Offshore. Okay. offshore. Do you have a different view for South African real estate? I think I think uh, yes. I think residential is gonna is gonna be really good going forward. Uh, I'm not too sure about commercial. Um, uh, office space is still lingering and is teetering. Um, companies are still undecided of how they're gonna go forward, especially those who don't own their own buildings. So if you are a big bank or a big institution, you own your own building. Um, I think it will be easy for them to call call it out and say um, everyone must come back to the office. But uh, at large, most, most companies are not in that space. So the future of work from home, remote work is still very murky in South Africa. So commercial real estate is going to be tough. Malls are also going to struggle, I think, a bit going forward, especially with affordability issues, people being able to spend and then people being able to keep space in malls. But I think if, if you are involved in the residential side, um, I think you're going to do very well going forward.
Willem, what's your thinking? And, and um, uh, okay, so what's your thinking? Also, I mean, the loan-to-value um, issue that Tommy highlighted is that has been quite um, stringently addressed by most South African listed property companies over the the COVID era. I think I don't think anyone is above forty percent. Well, there not maybe a few players, but do you do you ha do you have a particular view on on South African listed REITs? Um, and if and would you agree on, on the, the call on residential rather than commercial property? Yes, so I'm also fairly negative on property. And the, the reason for that is that these REITs are generally income producing assets. They're not, hope, you sort of hope for capital appreciation, but the idea is that you get sort of a decent dividend on an annual basis without the tax, dividend tax and gumps in your income. But the problem is the, the search for yield, it's so much easier to invest in a bank account if interest rates are rising backed by the government compared to some sort of, you know, residential sort of panzer or, or hopefully somebody coming back to the office. So in terms of, of sort of the asset class, I, I don't think it's easy to invest. And in. I think it's actually a bad, a very bad time as interest rates are rising. And then I agree with Tommy, um, residential does beat out office space just because at least anecdotally, very few companies are, are full-time back in the office. I'm hearing things like once a week, twice a week, maybe even once a month. So yeah, I think it's a long journey back for, for real estate in South Africa. Are there many, there aren't many listed residential property players though. There's just a handful and yeah. I can't even name them now because uh, I can't think of who they are offhand. But there's a couple, I suppose Octodeck was the original um, residential property player, right? Yeah, I'm also thinking it's not really residential, but another property play for the property space is storage. It's not... I don't really know how you classify it. It's like it's not residential, but it's sort of non-commercial. It's sort of individual, personal. So that's also quite interesting. Hmm. Tommy, uh, yeah, any, I mean, if you had to offer a, up a an, an option for residential investment other than, you know, maybe building your own property portfolio of, of uh, flats or apartments, for example, are there any names that, uh, that we should consider? Um, not really. Um, it's not. Um, I'm quite bearish, bearish, polar bearish on property right now. Okay. All right. Well, let us discuss the companies on which you are not bearish. Um, uh, so that leads us to your topics this evening. Tommy, uh, to start with you, what do you fancy? Uh, Platt Octave, um, they're a German company that makes uh, uh, glass, glass mesh for semiconductors. I think they're going to do well going forward, especially with moves around electric vehicles. Um, uh, with Tesla setting up their plant there. I think there's a future for what they do. Uh, they're specialists. They've got trademarks around their manufacturing technology, and I think they're going to do well. Can you just repeat the name of that company? Uh, also, while the Plan Optique, is that what it's called? They... Plan Optique, yeah. Okay, there we have the, the, the chart on the screen now. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, Willem, how about you? I'm going to go with Sappy. Um, I really, I've liked Sappy sort of for a long time back, and their results, the last two quarters were great. I think if you, if you analyze these numbers, Sappy's trading at a two and a half, maybe a three year price to earnings ratio with a very high dissolving wood pulp prices, and all the other commodities in their baskets look decently strong. Um, I think this gives them a chance to sort of pivot their balance sheets and sort of gives them a chance to sort of reset. And um, it, it opens up a lot of optionality in terms of share buybacks, even dividends maybe sort of interesting investments now that sort of things are under pressure and cheap. So, yeah, I, th I think it's very hard to pass up at, at this price point. Okay. Gents, we shall leave it there. We shall leave Willem to his tea and Tommy uh, to the gin and tonic that he can have after chatting to us on the show. Um, Tommy Netta is from Shiloh Capital. Willem Oldervacher is from Nitrogen Fund Managers. And Bryce is back with Stockwatch tomorrow night, same time, same place. Have a good evening.